Bible reading this morning, let us turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by one by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which is given unto us. And when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God committed his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, that all have sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed, for there is no law. And nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so as the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered, that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness 
unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Read in Romans chapter 5. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. Thou art our God. Thou art our Savior and our Redeemer. It is thy spirit that fills us because our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's in thy hands that we rest ourselves this morning that thou wilt undertake for us and thou wilt lead by thy spirit in the way thou would have us to go. Thou knowest what is needful for our hearts. Thou alone art our help and our hope. And that we know right well. For we cry with the psalmist. From the ends of the earth will we cry unto thee when our heart is overwhelmed within us. Lead us. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Father, you have taught us by thy spirit, and we know from experience there is but one safe hiding place, and that hiding place is in our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our refuge and our hope. By thy grace, we have left all for him. By thy grace and thy spirit working in us, we can turn neither to the left nor to the right. We have no strength of our own. Neither do we have help from man. But as the eyes of the servant is upon the hands of his master, and the eyes of the maiden is upon the hands of her mistress, so our eyes are upon thee this morning, from which cometh our help. We cry with the apostle Peter, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we do know that thou art the faithful God who cannot lie. The God who delights in undertaking for us. The God who delights in us casting all of our weight upon thee because you care for us. Thou hast bought us with the price of thine own precious blood. Thou art the one who's undertaken for us all of these years. The 
this in thee we live and move and have our being. And my Father, thou knowest the things that we face this morning. Thou knowest the decisions to be made. Thou knowest the wisdom that is needed, and our help cometh from thee. And my Father, we stand here this morning ready to preach the word which you've given to us and laid upon our heart. But yet, we're just as helpless as helpless can be. For thou alone must take the word home to our hearts. With feeling, knowledge, and know, our Father, that no good will be done at all unless thy spirit works and works mightily and effectually in our hearts. We acknowledge this before thee. So we come casting ourselves upon you, trusting you, looking to you to deal with us as thou wilt and give us what is needful, what we stand in need of this morning. And guide us by thy spirit in a plain path. We do pray for the John Albrights this morning as they make their way here from Chattanooga. Watch over them, keep them, lead them, and guide them. You know why you're sending them here. And we pray thy mercies and grace to rest upon them. Our Father, we pray for each family of this assembly each one who worships here with us. You know the need in every home. You're not unmindful of every need. And so we do pray that you will meet that need this morning. Now, Father, we'll have in this audience this morning a group of people who by faith will cast themselves upon thee and look to thee and trust you. We pray for the sick in our midst. May thy healing hand continue to rest upon Mildred. Watch over and keep her, my Father, is our prayer. We ask that thou would have mercy upon us. Throughout the day, your will may be done. And as we come to the table this morning, my Father, may we come with a pure heart and clean hands as we gaze by faith upon him who died upon yonder cross for the remission of our sins. Show us thy face. Let us see thy glory. And let us rejoice in thee. For thou art our God, our Savior, our Redeemer, our indwelling Comforter, and we have bought with the price of thine own precious blood. So we trust you this morning to do that which is needful in each and every one of our hearts. For in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Last Lord's Day morning, you remember, we spoke to you upon the wrath of God. How many hearts were affected by it, I don't know. I know there was a heart searching in mine the rest of the afternoon. But there are <clears throat> two scriptures that have come to my mind and heart in light of what we looked at last Lord's Day morning. One of them is found in the 17th chapter of Acts, verses 30 and 31. And the other is found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 3. Paul preaching there on Mars Hill in Athens, when he began to close his message to those infidels, he said in verse 30 of Acts 17, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because God hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. In Luke 13, 3, our Lord said, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. The thing that struck me was this. In Acts 17.30, that God has commanded all men everywhere to repent. That is a warning, that is a command from our living God. And it shows forth the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God that God would command us to repent because judgment is coming. And not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And taking no pleasure in the death of the wicked, he warns us and commands us, all men, everywhere, because he has appointed a day and in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he ordained, the Lord Jesus Christ. Assuredly, this judgment shall come because he raised him from the dead. He has commanded all men everywhere to repent. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ in Luke 13, 3. were also words of warning. Because there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices 
And Jesus answered and said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you nay. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And if that warning was not enough, he gives another. Of those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. The greatest thing that God could ever do for us is to warn us of the judgment to come. And that's what we did last Lord's Day morning by His grace. The next thing He can do, which He has done, is to tell us how we may escape that judgment. And it's through repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. These words came from the lips of Him who cannot lie. They came from the lips of one who loved us with an everlasting love and gave himself for us. These words came from the lips of him who came down from heaven's heights to earth's depths, the Lord of glory, that he might deliver us from going down to the pit, that he might die in our place to take away our sins with the sacrifice of himself. And so he warns us, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. What greater proof can there be of love than that someone, even our God, would warn us of the danger that's coming? When a father sees the little child ready to step off into a precipice, over a precipice, when the father sees the little child fixing to run into danger, we think nothing of it when that father sharply and very startling cries out, Stop! Stop! Does the Father love the Son? Or should we get mad at Him because He uttered such words? No. When the mother sees a little child fixing to eat some poisonous weeds, and she cries out to get his attention that he would not eat this and cause death. We think that's tender love, and it is. And if at midnight the cry goes forth that there's a fire raging, and men begin to cry, come out, come out, a fire is raging, 
And they began to scream or holler at the top of their voice, we do not think anything of it. We rejoice in that they do this because someone will be saved out of it all. A life will be saved or ten lives will be saved. Then when our Lord comes with the words, repent. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Should not we heed that cry? Should not we praise God that he has come to warn us of the impending doom the impending danger. If God would send the greatest of all the apostles to cry in the streets of Athens, God has commanded all men everywhere to repent. And that because he's appointed a day in the which he's going to judge the world in righteousness by that man who is ordained, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Should we not praise God? Should we not praise God for those that warn us and tell us of the wrath to come? Should that we praise God that he has sent those to us who will tell us of the love of God, that love that is come down to earth, that love that will not let us go, to tell us of that love that continually knocks at our door? Should not we praise God for this? Yes, we should. And beloved, I come this morning in all of my weakness, for I'm weak. I come to tell you this morning that God has commanded all men everywhere to repent. Except ye repent, you shall all likewise perish. If death really ended it all like so many tell us in the day in which we're living, and that we're like the beast of the field, that when we die, that's the end of it, if this was true, I wouldn't be here this morning. But beloved, it's not true. There's coming a day when God shall bring every man and woman into judgment to bring before them the, all the things that he has done in this body, whether they be good or whether they be evil. And only those who in Christ Jesus shall be able 
to stand in that day. Only those who have fled to Christ, only those who are in Christ, only those who have come the way the Apostle Paul told the church at Ephesus to come, and that is with repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, shall be saved in that day and delivered from going down to the pit. Bear with me, will you? I have a heavy burden on my heart this morning. can only speak as God speaks to my soul. But you're here, and God wants you to hear. Well, if I'm going to speak this morning on repentance, then the question is asked, what is repentance? If the importance of repentance is so great and it must be because it's mentioned 60 odd times in the New Testament it must be important if God says that unless we repent we shall all likewise perish. Therefore, we should find out what repentance is, how it is spoken of in the New Testament. We need to find out if I have repented. Have I brought forth fruits suitable for repentance? As John the Baptist asked those and told those Pharisees there at the River Jordan. To show you the importance of it, what was the first doctrine that our Lord Jesus Christ preached? In Mark 1.15 we read, Repent ye and believe the gospel. What did the apostles proclaim when the Lord sent them forth the first time? According to Mark 6:12, they preached that men should repent. What was the charge which Jesus gave his disciples when he left the world? That repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations according to Luke 24:47 What was the concluding appeal of the first sermons which Peter preached and recorded in Acts 2 and 3 In Acts 2:38 he said repent and be baptized in Acts 3.15, he said, Repent ye, and be converted. 
What was the summary of the doctrine which Paul gave to the Ephesian elders when he departed from them? He told them that he had taught them publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 20, 21. What was the description which Paul gave of his own ministry when he made his defense before Festus and King Agrippa? He told them that he had showed all men that they should repent and do works suitable for repentance, Acts 24, 20. What was the account given by the believers at Jerusalem of the conversion of the Gentiles. When they heard of it, they said, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Acts 11.18 So my beloved, this morning as I stand before you, I want you to make no mistake about repentance. I want you to make no mistake that we must repent. It is a dangerous mistake to hear those who said that repentance belongs to the Jew only. That repentance is a work and that it is a legal thing and has nothing to do with coming to Christ. Do not believe those errors. Repentance is the very root and foundation of what we stand on. The question is asked, when can it be said of any man that he repents? to lay some things down or lay some things out before you this morning to cause you to think cause you to cry to God to ask if I've ever been a partaker of these things what makes up repentance I want you to ask God to take it home to your heart well, remember, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. First of all, I would say this morning that repentance is a thorough change of man's natural heart upon the subject of sin and his attitude toward God. In other words, when a man has truly repented, there is a change that comes over the man. 
because of the grace of God, because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has wrought for him, because of the blood of Christ, because of the power of God's Holy Spirit, there's a thorough change in the man's natural heart about sin and about his attitude toward the thrice holy God. Repentance, like everything else in the Word of God that he tells us about, Repentance, like everything else that comes to us, is a gift of God. It is worked in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can cause a man to repent. Only the Holy Spirit can cause a man to change his attitude about sin. For by nature we love it. By nature we hold it dear to our very souls. By nature we do not want to let it go. By, 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 by nature we do not want to take the blame for our sins. But in repentance there comes a thorough change. Before the Holy Spirit begins to work in our hearts, then our attitude toward God, this holy God, we want to stay as far away from Him as we can. We don't want to have anything to do with Him or in connection with Him. So the Holy Spirit must come, and when He does, He finds us dead in trespasses and sins. He finds us polluted in our own blood. He finds us having gone astray as soon as we were born speaking lies. He finds each and every one of us in the place where nobody had to teach us anything about sin. We're deceitful by nature. We are liars by nature. We are full of evil passions by nature. We are self-willed by nature. We are all gluttons for the pleasures and joys of this world. By nature. We're all full of pride by nature, and every one of us is full of foolishness by nature. And how is a man going to repent if this is the way he comes into the world? How many come into the world in this condition and all do? and pass right on through this life never knowing 
themselves or a holy God. But if it would please God this morning, by his almighty power, to settle down over this audience this morning, and the Holy Spirit would come, and he would work, convicting of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, and give us that hatred for <clears throat> our ways and our sins, then we would be crying after him. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he has to overcome that natural tendency of our hearts which loves sin and doesn't want to change. So therefore, when repentance takes place, you can always know what God has wrought because of the, of the change that comes into his heart and in his life. You can't get away from it. The man is no longer the same man that he was. The woman is no longer the same woman that she was. God has come. A change has been made. The word of God has come home with power and much assurance to the man's heart. This is repentance. This is a penitent man. How will this man act? How will this be shown in our hearts and in our lives? And this is where I want you to follow me. Will you? You don't know it. It took all the grace that God could ever give one poor man to come to this place this morning. I can't deal with your heart because I can't even deal with my own. I can't open your eyes because I can't even open mine. I cannot show you, no matter what kind of words I would use, I cannot show you your need this morning of knowing whether or not you've passed from death unto life. And that the Holy Spirit has been operative, operating in your heart. I come with a burden that God would take this word home to our hearts. You see, true repentance begins with the knowledge of sin. The eyes of the penitent man are open. 
he sees for the first time in his life. He discovers to his amazement. He discovers even to the confusion of his own heart the length and breadth of God's holy law. And he hasn't kept it. He's broke it in every chart and every tittle. God is his enemy. God's judgment must fall. And his eyes are open to see for the first time the extent and the enormous effect of sin upon his life. His transgressions, his trespasses against the holy and righteous God, And as Romans 3 tells us, his mouth is stopped. And he becomes guilty before God. He discovers to his own surprise he begins to mourn over all the time he's wasted. He begins to mourn over the fact that he's dishonored God. He's injured his own soul. And now he's in the hands of thrice holy God to do with him as he pleases. He remembers how grievously he has sinned against the Lord and the burden of sins that are past began to overcome him. If he couldn't cry, if he couldn't step back like the publican in the temple and cry, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, He'd be of all men most miserable. But praise God that in repentance and true repentance and beloved this is one of the most gracious things in all the world. This God whom I have sinned against who has known me from my mother's womb in whose hands I have dwelt all these many years, having sinned against him, this God has showed mercy and that he has not cut me off, but he's brought me to see my sins and my need. And this brings a man to the place where he desires to confess his sins. You don't have to tell a man 
to confess his sins, if he finds out from the Word of God, and if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he is the gospel of the good news of the grace of God toward hell-deserving sinners. And he sees the blood of Christ. He sees the mercies of God being extended toward him. Then he begins to confess. He begins to point out everything to God that he is and that he's done. Every sin that the Holy Spirit brings before him, that's me, Lord. I did that, Lord. I was there. And you didn't cut me off. He comes confessing with one breath and pleading for mercy with another. He acknowledges <clears throat> and it's only the grace of God that has spared him and given him a throne of grace to which he can come. He holds back nothing. He, could, he doesn't want to hide anything from God. He wants to come clean. And he wants to come clear with God. I have sinned like the prodigal. I have sinned against heaven. And I have sinned against thee, my holy God. I lay down my arms of rebellion. I hoist the white flag of surrender. I come to you. But he goes further. He goes further than just confessing them. He goes further than bearing his heart before God. True repentance shows itself in that there is a thorough breaking off of sin. That doesn't mean that he will not wrestle with sin. Because the shackles come off only by the power of God. That doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy. But to show God that he means what he says, that he is confessing them. And he wants to be rid of them. The change of heart, the change of mind, he begins to break off with his lust. He begins to cry out against that lustful heart. And he cries like Ephraim, Lord, you've chastised me as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn me and I shall be turned.
Ned will forget. When that began, that became my cry there in Jeremiah. Lord, you've chastised me like a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. But I have not turned. Turn me, Lord, and I shall be turned. I want to let this sin go. I desire for a new life. I desire to walk with you. I want to be finished with sin. Turn me, Lord, and I shall be, and I shall be turned. So he begins to cry, and as he breaks off with sin, he finds that there's a new king ruling in his heart. Jesus has become Lord. The Lord begins to reign in his heart. And the Lord puts within his heart a desire to strive against the old man, to do war with sin. Because there's a new king on the throne, He desires to put sin away, to be clear of sin, to be finished with sin. He'll war, he'll war with it. He'll cry out against it. He'll labor by the grace of God to live a new life, which he knows only the Holy Spirit can lead, can live through him and in him. But he is seeking the Lord. Brother, I am not preaching this morning legality. I am preaching that which is truth the work of God's grace in our hearts by the Holy Spirit to produce in our heart true repentance. That our settled habits that are deep-seated will be rooted out and God will give us a hatred for our ways and our thoughts and our sins. And he'll give us his mind. And he'll give us his life. For he desires now to be holy. And he wants to show that holiness by living a new life. He wants to hate that which is evil. And he wants to cleave to that which is good. This is the work of the Spirit in our soul.
spiritual repentance, such as I've tried to describe this morning, is a grace that is never alone. With true repentance, there is given a living faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. For a man would never repent if he did not have a hope that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth from all sin. He would never repent if faith did not lay hold of the fact that God had made Christ sin for us who knew no sin. We might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He would never repent and cry unto God for mercy if faith was not mixed with His repentance. And faith goes out to the living God. That's the reason I've told you over and over again. You cannot con a man into saving faith. You can't do it. In other words, by letting him say a few lines and for spiritual laws and then ask him if he believes that and then tell him that he's saved. For the man who really sees himself as God sees him, and the man who comes to hate sin it takes the grace of God for that man to believe that that same God who has showed himself so righteous and so holy in his eyes from his word, that God in whose hands his breath is held, that that same God came and died for him and came and loved him, and was now drawing him unto himself. So faith is mixed with repentance, and repentance is mixed with faith. Wherever you find the one, you will always find the other. They're like Siamese twins. You cannot separate them. Which comes first, faith or repentance? Repentance or faith? I'll leave that in the hands of a sovereign God. All I know that all I know is that these two graces worked in my own heart, and they work in the heart of each and every one whom Christ came to save. Cannot have one without the other. But brethren, I'll tell you this morning, that's the reason that Peter says he calls it in First Peter precious faith. There's nothing in the world more precious than that faith that lays hold of the Lord Jesus Christ.
faith might have come to you like Lydia, where it says that the Lord just opened up her heart. Faith might come to you like Saul on of Tarsus on the road to Damascus when a light had to shine from heaven and blind him and God had to hit him over the head and knock him off the horse. Or however it comes, that faith will turn your eyes toward Jesus. That faith will turn you toward the blood. That faith will turn you where you want to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So remember, take heed that you repent. Make it your business, the business of your heart. Like one old divine said, he said one of the hardest things for me to do when I die is to say goodbye to my friend repentance for he's repented all his life and we do it's not a one time thing it continues on through life because when God saves us he gives us a new heart and a new nature and he puts within us a new spirit but he doesn't take away the old <clears throat> body of death that's still there. And we're made to cry out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? But we see in repentance that always leads to Christ. It always flees to him. Then take heed that your repentance be a repentance attended by a thorough forsaking of sin, hiding nothing, forsaking all. Don't be like King Herod. When John Baptist pointed his finger in his face and told him and his mistress Herodias that they were living in sin, John was put in prison. But the scripture tells us in Mark 6 that many, many times King Herod went down to his cell and heard John Baptist preach many things. But he would never give up his sin. He would never let his Herodias go. And so the day came when the daughter of Herodias danced before Herod in all of her nude, nudeness. And in a rash moment, he says, I'll give you to a third or half of the kingdom, whatever you want. And she had been instructed by Herodias, her mother, to get the head of John the Baptist. So that's what he asked for. She asked for, and that's what she got. John was never able, King Herod was never able to give up his sin, his Herodias. So he died. 
and hell he lifted up his eyes being in torments. So beloved, it's not getting sentimental excited under some message, but it's coming to God, laying down our arms of rebellion and hoisting the white flag of surrender, crowning Jesus Lord. It's not crying like Judas, I have sinned, and then going out and hanging ourselves. It's like Peter, who wept bitterly over sin and cried, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He never looked by faith to Jesus Christ, but Peter did, praise God, and God saved him. Your prayer and my prayer should be this morning that God would give us that conviction of sin which makes me flee to Christ. Have you beaten out a path to him? Do you know what it means to flee to Christ? Do you know what it means? When sin comes to tempt, or the old man desires to rise up, and you don't want it, and immediately you beat out a path to the cross, to the throne of grace, and now you begin to pour out your heart unto God in Christ. This is repentance. This goes on. Is there a place where you meet him? Is there a place where you pour out your heart to him? Then let us go to him. The Ten Commandments have their place. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And what we preached on last Lord's Day, hell and wrath to come, has its place. But it's not looking to the terrors of damnation. But it's looking to Christ. And that's where God wants me to come. That's where God wants you to come. We can only come to Him. Have you ever seen Him by faith? Have you ever seen a bleeding, dying Savior? Have you ever come by faith to the cross and there sat down and looked at him, wounded for my transgressions, bruised for my iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him, and with his stripes I'm healed. And look at that blood, and know that that blood speaks better things than the blood of Abel. That blood speaks mercy and cries for mercy. And there's no sweeter time in all the world 
and to lay my whole being down before him, to rest in his arms, to confess unto him my sins, and to plead his precious blood, and to know he's forgiven me and delivered me. And my heart goes out to him in love. And for him to tell me one more time, my child, thy sins are forgiven thee, go and sin no more. Those are precious words. I praise God for it. We can thank him for that. I want you to remember that without repentance there's no forgiveness of sins. If we will not lay down our arms of rebellion, if we will not hoist the white flag of surrender, if we will not come confessing our sins, then there's no help and no hope because Proverbs 28.13 tells us he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. For whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. To run to him, to hide in him, is the blessed, most blessed and gracious place to be. There's not a soul on the sound of my voice this morning but God in Christ is willing to receive. But you say I've been a rebellious sinner. I've been a lustful sinner. I've been a hypocritical sinner. I've been a sinner that loved my own way and my own will and never wanted a yoke put upon me. How can I come? Come as you are. He waits to be gracious, is what he says. He waits to grant peace. He waits to wash you from all your sins. He waits to be gracious unto you. Even though you would say with Isaiah and Isaiah thirty eight seventeen, For peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit and cast all my sins behind your back. May I come to him? Oh, I'll tell you what. If he had been a respecter of persons, 
He would have never let me in. Never. Never would have let me in. But he did not have respect of a person. He's a gracious God, a merciful God. A God who delights in showing forth his faithfulness and showing forth his love. And that's the reason he has come this morning in such tenderness. I had no idea when I left home that he would let me preach in this manner this morning. But this is the only way I could preach. Couldn't have preached any other way this morning. But with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, for I know Brethren, I know, without the shadow of a doubt, if he had not come to me with his arms outstretched, with his nail-riven hands, and showed me by faith he had died for me, I wouldn't be here this morning. If he had not given me a hatred for sin, I would have never had it. He had not caused me to sorrow over sin. I've never sorrowed over it. If he had not caused me to mourn over sin, I would have never mourned over it. If he had not caused me to flee from sin, I would have never fled from it. But he did this out of love to my soul. And what he's done for me, I know he can do for you. Remember, heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. And in repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, the power of God's Spirit working in us, we are made meet for the Master's use were made suitable to take our place with the other redeemed souls in glory walking with him and that's the reason why we're going to come to the table this morning we're going to come to rejoice for we're remembering his death till he comes again we're going to come asking him for a broken heart and a contrite spirit. We're going to come in a state of repentance, confessing sin, laying hold of Christ. The blood is there. All that he's done for us is illustrated in what we're going to do in a few moments. We're going to remember him till he comes again. And it was he, in love to our souls, said, Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. 
And it was he who said that he commanded all men everywhere to repent and to flee from the wrath to come because he's appointed that day of wrath. And we who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us, which hope we have as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul that entereth into that within the, in the veil, that Savior, represented by the elements this morning, that Savior will receive us. 